Welcome to the Bold Movement Podcast. Every Thursday, you can expect an exegetical approach to scripture as you're led verse by verse through the real stories in the Bible. You can find all episodes of the Bold Movement Podcast for free on iTunes and Spotify. And every Monday, make sure to check out Bold Is. This week, join Meg as she teaches you God's Word and discover why, to this day, it's still as relevant and significant as it was then. Are you ready to be bold? Here's your host, Megan Rollins. Hey ladies, welcome to the Bold Movement Podcast, where we work through a book of the Bible verse by verse. I'm your host, Megan Rawlings, and I have a very exciting episode for you today that I just know you're going to love. We have just started the book of Esther, and now we're going to take a look at chapter two. So let's go on ahead and dive on in. After these things, when the anger of King Ahasuerus had abated, he remembered Vashti, and when she had done, and what had been decreed against her. When the king's young men who attended him said, Let beautiful young virgins be sought out for the king, and let the king appoint officers in all the provinces of his kingdom to gather all the beautiful and young virgins to the harem in Susa, the citadel, under custody of Hege, the king's eunuch, who is in charge of the women. Let their cosmetics be given them, and let the young women who please the king be queen instead of Ashti. This pleased the king, and he did so. So, (laughs) this king starts, quote-unquote, remembering Vashti, and I believe this implies that there was a restlessness about the whole incident, right? But here's the thing. The king is stuck. He has absolutely brought this upon himself with his own legislation, and to take it back would make him appear weak and vulnerable. In J.G. Baldwin's commentary on Esther, she said the servants who waited on the king took their cue and urged the implementation of Mamukin. Sorry, it's definitely Mamukin because I actually Googled it to make sure I pronounced it correctly. So, Mamukin suggestion. There was considerable enthusiasm for the task of finding and bringing to Susa all the most attractive girls of the kingdom. But this is more than a beauty contest. And as I have written elsewhere from the point of view of the girls involved, no inviolable fate despite the glamour of travel and the possibility of becoming the royal spouse. It was customary to put a eunuch, who was a castrated man, in charge of the house of the women, a most responsible post. The name Hege occurs in the Greek form Hegeus in Herodotus as an officer of Xerxes. So check this out. There is an Arabian legend that often draws similarities to the story of Esther, right? But as Baldwin says, it is impossible to ascertain the date of the Arabian legend and therefore to make any significant comparison. Hmm. And if you want to check out that legend, it's called um, A Thousand Nights or something like that. I think it's worth looking into just because I think that stuff's fun. But be careful. Don't read too much into it, ladies. All right. Verse 5. Now there was a Jew in Susa, the citadel whose name was Mordecai, the son of Jer, son of Shemai, son of Kish, a Benjamite. Okay. Hold on a second. In other translations, it might say a man of Judah, where I said, now there was a Jew. And because by this time, the word Judah was generalized to mean Jew, right? 
This distinction is super important though, because we learn at the end of this verse that he is a Benjamite, which Benjaminite, which means he is from the tribe of Benjamin. Ladies, this is so important to remember that scripture never, never, never contradicts itself. There is always an explanation. This one is simple. They're using the word Judah and Jew synonymously, which was common at this time. But Judah is a tribe of Israel. It's one of the 12 tribes. It's just not the one he belongs to. Let's move on to verse 6. Okay, who has been carried away from Jerusalem among the captives, carried away from Jeconiah, king of Judah, whom Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, had carried away? The name Nebuchadnezzar might sound familiar because that name is the king in the book of Daniel. Sweet. So, According to Baldwin, who had been carried away is not clear to which name the who refers, right? So grammatically, Mordecai is indicated, but this would make both him and Nestor too old by 480 BC. There are other examples in scripture of a telescoping of generations in keeping with an awareness of family solidarity. The family of Mordecai was taken with Jehoiakim. with these names and it probably means that he was among the nobility fun fact verse 7 he was bringing up Hadessa pause for the cause (laughs) you all know I love fun facts and we're never going to get through this because there's so many fun facts here but let's just pause a minute because I'm going to share something super interesting with you Joyce Baldwin gives us some incredibly interesting information about the name Hadessa check this out Hadessa is the Hebrew name of the heroine, right? And this means myrtle. In prophetic symbolism, the myrtle would replace the briars and thorns of the desert, so depicting the Lord's forgiveness and acceptance of his people, right? Myrtle branches are still carried in processions at the Feast of Tabernacles and signify peace and thanksgiving. The Persian equivalent, Esther, or star, and this is also cross-referenced with Stella, picks up the sound of the Hebrew and suggests the star-like flowers of the myrtle. It comes from the same root as the Babylonian Ishtar, the goddess who corresponds to Venus in Roman worship. Okay, I thought that was fun, so let's keep going. He was bringing up Hadessa, that is Esther, the daughter of his uncle, for she had neither father nor mother. The young woman had a beautiful figure and was lovely to look at. And when her father and her mother died, Mordecai took her as his own daughter. So when the king's orders and his edict were proclaimed, and when many young women who, just this is a side note, I'm going to pause for a second. We don't know how many, but Josephus does tell us, and Josephus is a Jewish historian. He tells us that he thinks it's 400, but Patton suggested there was a different girl per night over the course of four years, which would mean there were 1,460 young women to choose from. Okay, and so when the king's order were gathered in Susa, the citadel, in custody of Hege, Esther also was taken into the king's palace and put in custody of Hege, who had charge of the women. C.A. Moore mentioned that the verb used does not suggest anything unpleasant. However, because we were not there, we truly don't know if she was taken with or without reluctance. At this time, we have to question whether a woman had a choice in the face of a royal order. 
despite everything else, right? We have to make sure we're not reading this through 21st century lenses, but we are keeping it in context of the time and culture. Verse 9, and the young woman pleased him and won his favor. And they're talking about Esther here. And he quickly provided her with her cosmetics and her portion of food and with seven chosen young women from the king's palace and advanced her and her young women to the best place in the harem. Baldwin says, and yes, I feel like all I'm doing is quoting her, but I mean, this is good stuff. Baldwin says, Hege did all he could to speed the preparations and by giving her seven attendants in the best apartments, he seems to have singled Esther out as the favorite for the queenly succession. In verse 10, Esther had not made known her people or kindred, for Mordecai had commanded her not to make it known. And every day Mordecai walked in front of the court of the harem to learn how Esther was and what was happening to her. Now, when the turn came for each young woman to go into the king Ahasuerus, after being 12 months under the regulation for the women, since this was the regular period of their beautifying, six months with oil of myrrh, and six months with spices and ointments for women, When the young woman went into the king in this way, she was given whatever she desired to take with her from the harem to the king's palace. In the evening, she would go in, and in the mornings, she would return to the second harem in custody of Shajgaz, the king's eunuch, who was in charge of the concubines. Okay, take note of that, because we're going to talk about that in a second. She would not go into the king again unless the king delighted in her, and she was summoned by name. Okay, let's talk about this for a minute. Do you grasp how inhumane this whole idea is? For 12 months, these girls are given beauty treatments for the preparation of marriage. But here is the cold, hard, bitter truth. They were to spend one night with the king. Yes, that means what you think it means. And then they were moved from the house of Hege to the house of Shajgaz, which is where the king's concubine lived. Baldwin says once she had become a concubine, there was no guarantee that the king would remember her by name and call her for even once more. Quite apart from the emotional deprivation this entailed, were not young men in the village deprived of wives by the king's greed? The prestige of living in the royal palace was small compensation for the king's neglect. Though girls with a passion for luxury could no doubt indulge it to the full, right? This absolutely breaks my heart, but God is faithful through this, and I can't wait to show you how, so let's keep reading. Verse 15. When the turn came for Esther, the daughter of Abihail, the uncle of Mordecai, who had taken her in as his own daughter to go into the king, she asked for nothing except what Hege, the king's eunuch, who had charge of the women, advised. Now, Esther was winning favor in the eyes of all who saw her, and when Esther was taken to King Ahasuerus into into his royal palace in the tenth month, which is the month of Tibeth, in the seventh year of his reign, the king, and just so you guys know, Tibeth, uh, the month of Tibeth is like, I think they translated it like mud. This is the middle of winter, okay? It's just like a weird, muddy season. It's kind of gross and cold and awkward. Um, in the seventh year of his reign, the king loved Esther more than all the women, and she won grace and favor in his sight more than all the virgins, so that he set the royal crown on her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. Then the king gave a great feast for all his officials and servants. It was Esther's feast. He also granted a remission of taxes to the provinces and gave gifts with royal generosity. 
I have to tell you all what I found in the IVP commentary. Check this out. This is so interesting. Some commentators have seen humor in the importance given to beauty and cosmetics. B.W. Jones, for example, calls the 12-month beauty treatment conspicuous consumption in the extreme. Persia and India, together with Arabia, were famous for their aromatic perfumes, which they exported from the (laughs) immemorial. I'd say that five times fast. So it is not surprising the full use of them was made at the royal harem. Even today, vestiges of ancient customs connected with preparation of the bride for her wedding survive in parts of Iran and North India. These include ritual cleansing at the communal bathhouse, the plucking of eyebrows and removal of body hair, and the painting of hands and feet with henna. In addition to facial makeup, application of beautifying paste over several months could be expected to lighten the color of the skin and remove spots and blemishes, much as face packs are used today. Oil of myrrh was valued for its sweet perfume, and there can be no doubt about the seriousness with which all this beauty treatment was applied. A further contribution to the subject by W.F. Albright has drawn attention to the use of cosmetic burners during the 5th century B in South Arabia. And by B, I mean B.C. I just can't read right now because my eyes are so blurry. Palestine and Mesopotamia, on the basis of a study of inscriptions on such burners, he suggests that the fragment spices mentioned here were used in fumigation, which would have both hygiene and, get this, therapeutic value. Take note also that Esther asked Hegei, because this is important, I think it's really, I think we can learn from this, right? Esther asked Hegei what the king would prefer, and that is how she presented herself to the king. Okay, let's move on to verse 19 and wrap this chapter up. Now when the virgins were gathered together the second time, Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate. Esther had not made known her kindred or her people, and what they're talking about is nobody knew that she was Jewish, okay? As Mordecai had commanded her, for Esther obeyed Mordecai just as when she was brought up by him. In those days, as Mordecai was sitting in the king's gate, Bixam and Teresh, two of the king's eunuchs who guarded the threshold, and just so you guys know, that means it was um, they were guarding their life, <laughs> they were guarding with their life the door of the royal apartment. They became angry and sought to lay hands on King Ahasuerus, and this came to the knowledge of Mordecai, and he told it to Queen Esther, and Esther told the king in the name of Mordecai, right? So Esther told the king who did it. When the affair was investigated and found to be so, the men were both hanged on the gallows, and it was recorded in the book of Chronicles in the presence of the king. Baldwin says many monarchs have died at the hands of their own servants, including eventually Ahasuerus. By making known to Esther what was afoot, Mordecai saved the life of the king, who, like the butler in Genesis 40:23, talking about the one with um, Joseph, right? Joseph and the coat of many colors, he's in prison, he forgot Joseph's name, um, the butler did. Anyway, he promptly forgot the man who befriended him. The culprits were duly hanged, and the incident was recorded in the court chronicles of Persia, but Mordecai was not even thanked for his trouble. That, my friends, is chapter 2 of Esther. We're going to check out chapter 3 next week, and in the meantime, would you do me a favor? Please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Don't forget to check out our website, www.thebullmovement.com. We can also be found online at Facebook, Twitter, Pinterest, and Instagram. 
We would appreciate your support in keeping this ministry going by becoming a Patreon supporter. I can't wait to continue studying the Word of God with you next week. So until then, ladies, go out and be bold.